Last time on The Devil Wears Ross and Aaron. Kickoff Sunday, 12 p.m. Eastern Time against Udinese. You might think is a win, but knowing AC Milan, we're careening straight for a draw. Ceiling is 2-1. Floor is the 1-0 Udinese. Not great, Bob! That's the worst case scenario. I'm going 2-1 Milan. Start off their season with a dub. Before it's in Milan, let's get this W, boys. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Well, that opening montage was brought to you by the wonderful world of AC Milan, a team that never fails to get you even a little bit optimistic, hopeful, or excited, and then shatters your mood and your entire weekend with an absolutely teeth-grindingly pitiful performance. Now, welcome back to The Devil Wears Ross scenario the official podcast of SB Nation's AC Milan Offside. You can tell this is a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm just going through the formalities right now. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Patrick Stoll, alongside Tim Fontenot, at Stoll underscore P, and at SBN Rossonero is where you can find us on Twitter, and acmilan.theoffside.com is where you can find our work. And now on to what we came here for If you didn't come here to listen to the montage of me getting everything wrong from last week's podcast with Robbie, where I absolutely blew it. I had it and I blew it because AC Milan can't manage to do what they're supposed to do or even figure out what they're supposed to do. Where do you start? A 1-0 loss on the road to Udinese, a clearly inferior team, allegedly, to kick off the 2019 season and just when everyone, or almost everyone, or most of us, or even some of us, were feeling even a little bit okay ahead of the new campaign. We're going for top four. We're stable now. We have a system. We have a coach. We have additions that should make us better. Stability, allegedly, on the pitch. And then we start Fabio Barini and Castillejo, who is a stick figure. We put Chelanoglu into the Regista role, which he has no idea how to play with any sensibility at all. The manager is confused as we all are. We have backseat coaches all over Twitter because none of us know what's going on and neither do the players. And not only did AC Milan look just the same as last year's team under our boy Reno Gattuso, but they looked lackluster, they looked rusty, they looked void of ideas, They looked lazy, they looked confused and incapable 
of doing anything, even remotely expected of them, from the fans to the other players to the people in the stadium who came to watch this sorry team to the poor members of management who were sitting in the stadium having to watch and go, what in the hell is this? So welcome back to the podcast, probably one of the most angry editions of The Devil Wears Rossonero, where we are how you spell Milan Twitter, M-A-D-O-N-L-I-N-E. For the past two days, we have been seething over this, chomping at the bit, waiting for this chance to vent, because why else do we have a podcast if we had good things to say? We wouldn't need a podcast for it. So now I'll lead into my co-host and my good friend Tim Fontenot, who is even more chomping at the bit, and I'll let him take the wheel before we get into, I don't know, one of the gajillion bad things that happened this game. Tim, how are you, buddy? I really hope that you are uh, better than the quality of AC Milan's performance against a not very good team. Wow, way to set a low bar right there. <laughs> I mean, how can you not be better? There's nothing that can possibly be worse than that. And I think you just had the best introduction to this podcast of all time. Look, uh, while you were going off on your very glorious, very dead-on, very accurate rant, I have been scrolling Google Images. Do you want to know what I'm looking at? Tell me what you're looking at. I'm looking at photos of Gennaro Gattuso because I'm looking for the last time that he was clean-shaven before he was on the touchline for Milan on Saturday. I mean, really, that's did we see Gattuso clean-shaven or was that really Marco Giampaolo's team? I think it was uh, Gattuso dressed up as Giampaolo. I, that's my theory, is that he was dressed up and then maybe at the very end of the game, like around, I don't know, the 80th minute or so, Gattuso had to go to the bathroom and the real Giampaolo stepped out there and was like, what is happening? What is going on? You mean after Giampaolo definitely infiltrated the AC Milan offside Slack channel where we were saying, get Benacer on, get Leal on, get Kessier on and fix this. It's like we knew what should have happened. And it's like watching the game, you can tell who the rubbish players are, but it took almost an hour for our glorious new manager to do it. I don't understand. You know, it's unbelievable to me because every single Milan fan out there, for the most part, everyone in the world, and as you said, Maldini and Boban watching in the stands, we all knew what needed to happen. And the only person who didn't seem to agree is Marco Giampaolo. And Fabio Barini. (laughs) Yeah, and Fabio Barini, apparently. Look, you can identify the players who don't belong on the pitch because they're players who have not belonged on the pitch for this team for years. And I just can't understand how you come out of the gate with all those expectations and an opportunity with a very favorable fixture list stands week four to start this season through October. You have so many opportunities to get maximum points. I don't care if you're on the road. You blew it. I mean, how do you not just put your best team out there? Look, I can, I will sit here and I tend to find myself being an apologist more often than not. And I can understand where Marco Giampaolo was coming from with his idea 
that he didn't want to get these guys in right away because they weren't with him. Okay, first of all, they're professional footballers. They didn't need that long. They these these tournaments in the summer ended weeks ago. Yes, you just completed some of these deals in the last few weeks, but they've been with the team and look, at at some point there's having a tactical approach and then there's just getting your best players on the pitch and getting results. And I can understand that Shampala wants to play a certain way. And look, over time, that philosophy is going to evolve at Milan. And they're going to get playing Shampala ball. But for, for right now, look, I think we can just boil this game down from Saturday simply to player selection. I mean, he got the selection wrong. And especially if you're going to say that Benacer is not ready... Leal's not ready. Kessier, Krunic, Duarte, whoever. Don't put them on the field at all. Because now you're just going to give us all an opportunity to scream even more about it. Because if they were ready to come on that field in a desperate situation, they were ready to start. And that's one of the things that just baffles me. Is, let's say that Benacer and Leal... Uh, those two especially, I'm, I'm, I'm pinpointing those because of the players who started in their place. Hakan Chalanolu was played as a regista. As a regista. Are you kidding me? I don't get it. So let's, and I have to throw Frank Kessie in there because Barini was in his place. So first of all, let me say that Fabio Barini starting in the year of our Lord 2019 is ridiculous. And one of the best parts is that whenever you bring up Fabio Barini, everyone's reaction is, well, he seems like a nice guy, which is the only thing you can say because he's not good. Right. I, I, I'm not insulting the dude as a person. I don't, I don't know these people. I make a judgment based on what I see on the pitch. And what I saw on the pitch was he can't do it. He's not good enough. Especially as a midfielder. Like, what was that? The one good game he had was at right back in an emergency situation when everyone was hurt. That was, he was like, not bad. I was impressed because I was like, wait a minute. Like, if, if he, and like, he does what he's told, I get it. It's not Fabio Barini's fault. I'm not, I'm not doing that to him. I don't, like, don't, think that I'm just absolutely taking shots at Fabio Barini for fun. I take no pleasure in this. Fabio Barini's not the player or not the person deciding that Fabio Barini is going to be a starter. And that's a fact because the, 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 one of the worst parts was that we knew Fabio Barini was going to start, but we didn't know if it was going to be Paqueta. And for the love of God, the, the name pronunciation, Paqueta. Paqueta. Say it with me. Paqueta. It's not that hard. It's not Paqueta. It's not Paqueta. This is like when when a commentator last year couldn't get Chalanoglu's name right. Yeah, remember <laughs> that times. in the ICC? Yes. <laughs> I just cannot. It blows my mind. So we knew Barini was going to start on the right. And after Belia got hurt, because Belia was going to start, God help us all. We knew that Chalanoglu, that's how you say his name, Chalanoglu, was going to start in the Regista role, which he's never played in his life. This poor man has never started his proper position. So never. So that's not once. 
but we didn't know if it was going to be Kessie or Paqueta on the left. How? What is going on? Why? Why? Poor K no los dos, Gianpaolo. Seriously. D- you do have two other midfield slots, right? You can put Paqueta on the left, which I believe when I talked to Robbie DiLorenzo, one of our staff writers, he's great. Um, when I spoke with him on last week's podcast, we had the same starting 11. It was exactly the same that we wanted. It was Donnarumma, the back four, I think, sets itself, but left to right, Rodriguez, Romagnoli, Musacchio, Calabria. And then we said the three should be left to right, Paqueta, Benacer, Kessie. Yep. And then Suso, Trecortista. And then your uh, primary striker is Piontek, and your second striker is Liao. I would have said the exact same thing. Exact same thing. That's the thing I've seen. That if you asked an AC Milan fan, hey, who do you think should start? I think they would have all said, except for Fabio Barini, would have said that starting 11. It's not even close. Right. Now, Castillejo starting, I, 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 I guess I get the concept, right? But the execution was never going to be there. Yeah, it really shouldn't have been a surprise because that's exactly what he was doing the entire preseason. Every preseason game, for the most part, it was Piotek with Castillejo next to him in that position. And we didn't see anything from him in those games either. And it doesn't work. And that's the best part. So, and... You mentioned Jampilo Ball, and I want to bring this up before we really drill into the game. There have been reports or quotes. Basically, Jampilo, uh, the the report is that he has permission or the green light to switch formations uh, into either a four-two-three-one, a four-three-three, or a four three two one the christmas i'm glad trip. you brought this up because i got i got so things. yeah i got takes on this um if you didn't think we had enough ammunition you know this it's actually good that we waited because we can unload on this too so number one if you go into preseason you are the new coach you get your players together and by the way the tr- the whole transfer market was yours right the guys that you brought in are yours Right there, it's not. This is not a Montella Gattuso thing. This is, yes, you inherited a squad, but this was your window. If you wanted a player, you needed a player, whatever, get it. Right. If you say I cannot run this formation without a Trequartista, I need a number ten who can just boss the game. Right. Do that. That's fine. I get it. All right. If you. If there are requirements to play your system, get the requirements so you can play your system. And if that gives you the best chance to win, do it. The problem is, if you go in there and you say, all right, we are doing this formation, and you the whole time, you are to the level of shoehorning these players in because it's clear that the best players were not on the pitch, and it's clear that the best players were not in their best positions on the pitch, you should either get better players or figure out that you should change it. But then if you get the whole way and you're like, jump hella ball, jump hella ball, jump hella ball, this is what we're going to do. We are playing this system hell or high water. We're going to figure it out, right? 
I get it. But then when you lose the first game, you can't come away and say, scratch your head and be like, oh, wow, yeah. Oh, that might that wasn't great. That you know what? We need something different. You cannot use the whole preseason doing one thing and then turn it around and just abort mission and do something else. Now, I'm not saying you have to do your thing for ten games and then realize it doesn't work and you're like, oh geez, yikes, Ugh, lost season. Sorry guys. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the whole time we were being preached to system, system, system. Gianpaolo was in the same coaching class as Maurizio Sarri, and he finished first in the class, and Sarri was second, and he's a mastermind, and he's a genius, and this is going to work, and they have this formation, and we will figure that out. Okay, but then when you come into the first game, you don't start the best players. You don't put the best players in their best position. It doesn't work. Shocker. We all saw it coming. Listen to the montage at the beginning. I said the floor of the game for Milan was a 0-1 loss. That's exactly what happened. So if you get if you if that happens, right, you can either abort mission, which sounds like is what's going to happen which, oh, by the way, is what Vincenzo Montella did for three months. Or you can say, look, we got we to gotta do this the right way. So get your system and formation and the right players out there and then do it. And then if that doesn't work against Brescia, then you can be like, all right, yeah, we gotta, I got to reevaluate this or we need another player or something like that. The transfer window is about to close. This is your roster now. And oh, by the way, now we're deciding, oh yeah, by the way, we can't sell Suso. Yeah, no squat. We don't have the players to sell Suso. I was talking about this with Robbie, and then I'll I'll let you have it, Tim. Sorry. Um, (laughs) I was talking about this, the the whole, like, should we keep Frank Kessie? Yes! How arrogant are we about these midfielders that we think we can sell Kessie and be fine? How arrogant and cocky and just delusional are we about our forward group that we can say, you know what, yeah, if we sell Suso, we'll be just fine. No, we won't! Just because we bring Correa in, first time I got that right first try for some reason, um, just because if we were to get him in, which honestly I don't think we will, um, so we lose Suso, we bring him in, so now we have a new player instead of Suso, or we just straight up lose Suso, like we were going to do with Frank Kessie. We just offload him. I don't get it. So get the right. It. If you don't want to be criticized for how your squad plays, and you, if you don't want to be criticized for the best players not playing, you should play your best players. It isn't that. It, it, it just seems straightforward, right? I'm not a professional coach. Yeah, it's not that deep. Play your best players. I mean, how hard is that? And here's the thing. If you're not going to play your best players, look, I I appreciate a level of pragmatism. And obviously, Marco Giambalo is about as pragmatic as it gets. But look, if you switched systems right now, 
What's been the point of the last two and two or three months? What's been the point of this transfer market? Because now you're going to switch systems and say, well, I don't have the players to play this system. No kidding, because all the players you just bought were to fit your system that you are apparently super rigid on. And look, if this was one of the things I was thinking about during this match. And I, um, I heard a great line from Nikki Bandini during the Siri Awesome podcast where she said that she like she couldn't understand why Gianpaolo seemed so surprised that the players that he tried to play in this system didn't work and why he was so surprised that it seemed like they were square pegs going into round holes. Because that's exactly what they were. As we've said 10 times already, Chalinolu is not a regista. Barini is not a central midfielder. Barini is not a first-team player. He's not a second-team player. He's not a third-team player. I digress. He should have been in MLS three years ago. Uh, Castillo, not the right person to be playing alongside Pialtec. Suso, struggling as the Trey Quartista. If you are going to not play your best players, and if you're going to try to fit all these players into unnatural positions, if you're a really good manager, you swallow your pride and... Realize that for this game alone, until your players are ready, until you believe that they're ready and you can finally put them in, switch the system up a little bit. These players that were on the pitch have been so are so accustomed to, I hate to say it, the Gattuso ball style of play, that 4-3-3. Why not just play that system in a situation against Udinese just adjust for that one game because you don't have Benacer out there. You don't have Leao. You don't have any of these guys who are going to be the players you build around. So just adjust for the one game. And if they're not ready for Brescia, do it again. That doesn't mean that you're abandoning your philosophy. It just buys you a little more time to play a style that your team is comfortable with, which will, if all you have to do is put out 11 players who know what they're doing against Udinese and Brescia, and you go into the international break with six points. How is that that hard? Then you have a few extra weeks to get, first of all, to get players fully fit, and then to give them more time to understand your philosophy. Because then you can go into the third round, then you can go into the derby with the players that you brought in with your system in mind, to get this team into the top four. The players that Boban and Maldini and Gazidis entrusted you with because you said, these are the guys I want. These are the guys who will help my team. Okay, get them on the pitch. And if you're not going to get them on the pitch, like just not abandon, but adjust. A good manager knows how to adjust. And I mean, Clearly, he showed that late on when we actually started looking competent when he had the right players in that system. But until then, look, that that midfield, everything was side to side. They couldn't break down a line to save their lives. The defense, fine. The attack, no idea what was going on. Piotek had more fouls than touches at one point, I think. And I, I don't even want to look at how many touches he ended up with. Castillejo... I think our entire group thread broke when he actually made a move that led to an attacking chance. Suso, very inconsistent as the number 10, as we saw in preseason, and it's not his natural fit. 
That seems like it, you have to get Benacer into that Regisa role and move Chalinolu up. I like. I am not looking at selling Suso right now, but I think if you're trying to put the players in the best positions and play the system that you believe in, I don't know if there's a role in this starting eleven right now for Suso. I think it's got to be Chalinolu ahead of him as the number ten. But until you're ready to actually implement this system, Suso ball to the right, as we saw him starting to get really eager to start doing that late in the match. Chalinolu on the left, Piotek through the middle, Paqueta running through the midfield, Kessier next to him as a bull, Benacer behind them. I mean, how how is it this hard? It, it can't be, especially when you've had months. Do you want to know? How many touches Piantec had? Can I guess? Yes, you may. 17. You are almost Nostradamus. He had 18 touches. Ah. Uh, he had 18 touches. How, wh- <laughs> what? That can't happen. For context, yeah, for context, um, Musacchio had 107. That's wild. Donnarumma had 36. What? How? Paqueta had fifty-eight, I, and I—I I mean, I—you can go on. Even that's too low. Yeah, I mean that's that's ridiculous. But Benacer had eleven. Benacer came in in the seventy-fifth minute. He had almost as many touches as Piontek. How does that work? What is go- what is going on? It's clear that the best player, and like, you know, I, I, not to beat a dead horse here, but the best players weren't on the pitch, and I don't think you can truly evaluate until you have all your best players on the pitch. You can't. No, I fully you agree. You can't change, because now if we're going to do the 4 3 3 thing, right, you know that they're going resort, to resort to Gattuso ball. It's going to happen because that's the only 4 3 3 that these players know. If they do another, pos- another formation, then. Like you said, you wasted the preseason because that's exactly what it's for. If you do the Christmas tree, same thing. Now, all of these have them. I've been seeing Milan all day today, ever since this news came out. I've been seeing all day long, basically the merits of all the positions or all the formations, right? I've been seeing, you know, here we'd be able to put Suso in his right thing. And here, Benacer would be the best. And Liao could do this. And Paqueta could do this. Um, a person who will remain nameless tweeted from the SBN Rossonero account that if they got Everton, they would put Everton, Liao, Suso. And they said, yes, I said Liao, implying to sit Piontek, prompting responses of One Season Wonder, which... We're not talking about Andrea Bellotti yet. Please, please don't curse Piontek. Don't speak it into existence. We're one game in. He didn't have the best preseason, in fairness, but... Well, one thing I do want to say here, and I was, I was talking, you know, friend of the, uh, friend of the show, friend of mine, Matt Santangelo. I was talking to him. Uh, Matt underscore Santangelo on Twitter. I know all of you, if you listen, you probably already follow him. But I was talking to him after the game. And 
what we agreed on was, yeah, this sucked, right? And yeah, the, the, this was going to happen. I think a lot of people saw this result happening. I think as soon as you could put on a graph the amount of excitement that everyone had, and then as soon as Thursday or Friday came along, it dipped because then you started seeing the starting 11. And you're like, oh God, wait a minute. Like, this is, th th we're going to lose this game. Or we're going to draw this game. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not good. And then the excitement fell. And it fell. And everyone who was excited, everyone who was optimistic, became worried. For good reason. And then we had the same result again. Um, but I was talking to Matt, and we agreed, you know, it was inevitable. We knew it was going to happen. And he said, you know, and I'm paraphrasing, integrating, or not integrating, implementing a new style and an identity, which is part of the whole thing with Giampaolo, is going to take time. It's growing pains. And that's what that's what the AC Milan Twitter account said after the game. Teething problems. Well, yeah, but this wasn't against Roma. This wasn't against Lazio. This wasn't against, I don't know, even Torino or Samp or Atalanta. I mean, this, I don't. I don't think a lot of people have Udinese very high on their list. No, absolutely not. And look, just I, I feel like it, this whole conversation always comes back to one thing for me about this match. <laughs> look, if the Milan Twitter account is calling this teething problems, these are teething problems if your molars are coming in where your front teeth should be. I mean, this really just boiled down to who was on the pitch and how they were deployed. There, That is the end-all be-all of or be-all end all however the hell you say it end-all be-all i think yeah thank you yeah. yeah of how this game went wrong if they had had the proper players playing in that formation i don't think that this would have been a problem i don't think it would have been the prettiest game probably a one nil the other way two nil if we get that penalty call but um more on that later but I, uh, I really, I just think it always, it comes back to the lineup selection. The formation is fine, I think. I, I just, the, I mean, I was really, I was really pleased with the defense. Look, that one set piece they got beat on, they were already, you could already tell how demoralized they were out there. The entire team, like, just looked so confused and had no idea what they were supposed to be doing. Um, so I don't know. It just it keeps coming back to that for me, and I think we just need to see the players playing in the right position. Look, I wonder how things change when you know these players actually get out there when Jack Bonaventura gets healthy, when Beely is healthy, and he can fill in for Benacer, and you know down the road when Caldara is healthy. I mean, I I don't know. I don't think that we can just say the sky is falling after this one match. I just think we need to be really angry about this match not overreact if you're Jampalo and change this whole system. And you just have to regroup and get ready for your home opener against a team that you should, in theory, smash, but more likely will not and just need to grind out a win. Yeah, and, and just to close out, like, you know, initial reactions, right? I'm not shooting down Jampalo as a manager. 
I'm not shooting down his ideas. I'm not shooting down his formation, his system, his uh, any of that, right? I get it. And we saw what we saw flashes of what Giampaolo Ball could be in the preseason. Now we also saw some growing pains over the preseason. But you know, at times it was like, "Oh, this is what we're going for. This is the identity. This is his idea." Right? So I'm not shooting down him. I'm not shooting down any of that stuff. But I, I, I get I get why people are upset. The right players weren't out there. They didn't look good. They didn't play anything that we were promised. We looked the same. Um, the whole preseason, including the additions, looked like they meant nothing. Because it was like, okay, we're back to the same old, same old. And I get that people want us to be good. And I get that we've been waiting a long time and we're finally like, all right, well, here we go. This is it. You know, this is the start of the project. You know, we're, we, st stability, right? Well, it, it's going to be all right. I think we're going to be okay. However, let's not, let's not, take the torch to the whole thing right now. And that applies to Giampaolo too. I mean, don't torch the whole formation thing because of one bad game where your best players weren't on the pitch. Where you started... And, I mean, just one more thing on Chalunoglu. My God, the dude... I, like, I saw this one video that someone put on Twitter and you literally see him, like, stand and literally, like, turn in a circle. Right? Like, he never moved forward as the Regis. There was no attempt. No. He doesn't know how to be a Regista. He has no clue. And as you said, I don't think he's played a single match in his proper position. I think it's time to give him the chance. And, I mean, is it too, is it too much to ask to put the players in the right place? And also, so there's also um, a couple other things I saw. One, um, a video of when Suso goes out to the right wing. And uh, I don't know if you saw this. It's a scene from like Dragon Ball where oh one of the God. characters is like, I'm free. Like, this is my home. <laughs> um, I have not seen in context. I haven't even seen Dragon Ball, but it was, no, it was funny as hell. Um, oh, okay. So we're on the same page yeah, there. Yeah. Um, and then the other was like AC Milan FIFA controller. And just every single button was like back pass to the goalie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. And don't scrap the whole thing. We're going to be all right. You, but we, we all have the right to be mad about a loss. Yes. All right. And a crappy loss at that against a not good team. Right. You can be mad about that, but let's not torch the entire season. That was one out of 38. One out of 38. And your next one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Your next 10, if I'm counting correctly. Home against Brescia, at Verona, the Derby against Inter, at Torino, Fiorentina, at Genoa, Lecce, at Roma, Spal. That is not the worst opening to a season that you could ask for. That is, that is a if you want if you want to if you want to go through these teething problems, that's a good run to have to build this team up to where they need to be. That intergame is going to be really tough, obviously. Roma will be tough. 
Fiorentina will probably be tricky, but there's a lot of opportunity for points in there for maximum points. And to really go into November when you have that gauntlet of Lazio, Juve, Napoli in a good position, and then we can really see what Giampaolo's team is made of. But until then, you need to, you can't just sit and wait for the team to be perfect in that formation and training before you deploy it on the field. You need to actually get them out there and beating these teams that they should be beating and learn from the mistakes as you go. It, it was it was truly it, it was truly hard to watch. Um, it was because it only took a couple minutes to be like, oh my god, we have no idea. Um, but let's get on to so now now we've beaten the coaching thing to death, right? We've we've gone through that. We've gone through the formation. We've gone through the players. Now let's get to a couple of things about the game. Um, you know, the ones that we haven't covered yet. Um, I'll, I'll start with this because chronologically it happened first. The penalty shout from Milan in the second half. That was not a penalty. He dove. All right, Piantek dove. I think we're all on the same page here. And then he really made a mess of that little... Like, you shouldn't slap out at somebody, but yeah. if he doesn't make any contact with you, like, that really that really genuinely made me mad at Piotek. I mean, he was already an invisible man the entire game, and that's that was just such a clear desperation play to try to win some sympathy and hope that the rigid hands-to-the-face rules would apply there. And no, like... Absolutely embarrassing. He he got away with it too. I honestly can't believe that Serie A didn't suspend him after the fact. Embarrassing is the word. Um, first of all, the dive was just poor. Um, it was just not good. And then, like the getting up and throwing your hands up. It's like okay, bro. The dive it didn't work. Just get up. And I, I get on one hand. So he he puts his hands up. He's trying to sell it even though all of us are saying, get up, get on with it, right? And then the guy is, like, aggressively trash-talking him, right? He says something back, and then he gets smacked in the head. If he had gotten up right then, like, if he had snapped up and basically said to the guy, like, you want to do that again, I think it would have been a far different first of all i think they both would have gotten sent off but the whole then selling it hands to the face i mean i was watching with my fiance and she was just laughing and it was just it was embarrassing uh i do and frankly i'm shocked that both players didn't get yellows because i was saying the whole time like you can't hit someone in the head I mean, you you cannot do that. That's it's literally not allowed. I was a hundred feet away from Kaká when he got sent off for messing around with a former oh teammate by putting his hands on his face. So I'm very emotional about this rule. I just don't get. So I don't get how that was nothing, right? So I I mean, frankly, both players should have gotten yellows. All right, get up off the pitch, and don't hit him in the head. You do that again, you're going to be off, both of you get up right so that that was one of my i wanted to make sure to bring that up because i i just think all around that was shambolic from both players that was just 
a disaster. And then obviously that's the guy who goes on and scores the winner for Udinese. And that's what that's what made me really mad because I was like, essentially, because in that point I'm almost I'm seeing red. I'm like that guy should have been sent off. Yeah. And he scored. This is a dis- this is a disaster. Like Kessie, what are you doing? Cover the guy. Like what's going on? How did he go over Romagnoli, who's trying his best, and Kessie just I don't know. So. The goal, like you said earlier, preventable, but it happens. Like that, that is going to happen to every single team at some point this season. He did a good job getting up for it. That yeah. was it was well done. You can't take anything away from him except for the slap to Piontek's face. Yeah, sometimes a set piece is like set piece defending isn't always a failure when the other team scores. It's just they made a better play. I mean, it happens sometimes. While we're not mad, I think it's time to. Uh, to go to the next conversation that we want to have. <laughs> Let us take a moment and just think about what VAR is supposed to do. Let's all take a moment and remember the words clear and obvious. And remember the rule that says any handball, intentional or not, will be called according to IFAB. Let us recall incidents in the Premier League and the Champions League that have either drawn penalties or waved off goals. Let us remember where your arm exists on a human being. Now, let's take a look at a corner that swung in and Romagnoli's head hits it, and it bounces very interestingly, not off of an Udinese player's head, but below his shoulder, which, and this is an audio medium, so you can't see me, I am looking at my arm right now. I believe, notice that I said I am looking at my arm right now, Your arm is below your shoulder. So by default, that's a handball. It hit the player's arm and prevented it from going into the net. It then rolled allegedly harmlessly out of bounds. I say allegedly more on that in a second. Shouts from everyone. Handball. Handball, handball, handball. Every single person with a pulse saw it on TV. As soon as they showed a replay, it was like, hang on. That's his arm. That That's a handball. In the box. Preventing the ball from going in the net. And then... VAR comes. VAR does the right thing. VAR comes in and says, hang on, we got to take a look at this. So far, so good. And then the football god's hatred for AC Milan that has remained with us from 2013 strikes again. This time, again through the mercy of VAR. 
granting to Udinese. No, it did not hit his hand. It did not hit his arm. It hit his head. No foul. No cause for concern. Goal kick. What are we doing? Cue the Taylor Twelman. What are we doing? What is going on? What is the point of having the replay if you're not going to get the calls right? What is the point of looking at it in slow motion, which I grant you, you go too many times in slow motion, you're like, okay, look, bro, it's no longer clear and obvious, right? You can't look at it at like 1, 1,000 speed and be like, aha, it slipped off his fingernail. There it is. Though that does sound like the Man City Spurs game last week. Still. (laughs) But if you flip around the camera to, I don't know, the other side of the pitch, and you go, that's hit his arm. That is in the box. That, by rule, incidentally or not, (laughs) intentionally or not, that's a handball. That should have been a penalty kick. There is no... You cannot explain to me how that was not a penalty. Everyone saw it. it again, my fiance is like, oh yeah, that's his arm, all right. I'm like, there we go. Yeah, we're good. He comes out from the VAR thing. He looks at the monitor himself. This isn't even a thing of the referee like listening to VAR, like, listen, listen, listen never looking at himself and be like, aha, all right, Uh, you know, call. Nope, he looks at it, all the angles, comes away, points to what I thought was the ground, so I thought he awarded a penalty. No, he gives a goal kick, somehow ignoring that the ball clearly came off the defender, doesn't even give the corner, and we move on. What is the point of the technology and the replay and seeing it and having the chance to get the call right and correct a clear and obvious error if you are still going to make a clear and obvious error? I don't get it. I don't either. And look, I I will start by saying, you know, unfortunately, he was in a position where he couldn't even award a corner kick. Because the first somehow the linesman completely missed it. So and every angle I've seen, the referee was in a really disadvantageous position. He was where he should have been. He was behind the play, but he couldn't see what was going on there. The linesman apparently didn't see the deflection. Therefore, he ruled a goal kick. the The referee on video review is not allowed to overturn any of that. He's only allowed to decide whether there was a penalty or not. And he got that completely wrong. I don't understand how you can look at that, like you said, in any at any speed and think, oh, yeah, that didn't hit his arm. The the defense I've heard is it hit his shoulder. Oh, and rubbish. If, Come on. If, if, that's, if that's my shoulder, then I've been doing shoulder presses all wrong. I need to put the bar under my arm and start lifting it like that because apparently that's what a shoulder is, is where your arm bends, and that's just not the case. Um, I've confirmed that with many scientific people who have been able to tell me that's correct. Yeah, if, if that's my shoulder, I don't know why people haven't been telling me that I have nice shoulders. Yeah, seriously. 
Oh. Like, I haven't ever gotten that. It's weird because if that's my shoulder, short sleeve shirts show your shoulder. Yes, exactly. I, I don't get it. I my favorite my favorite reaction to this was Craig Burley going and like scratching the lower part of his arm and be like, "Oh, hey, can you hold on a second? I'm just scratching my shoulder over here." Priceless. Uh, I what? How? How is that not a penalty? Look, the Syria did such a like they they've taken the stance and this stupid new regulation on handballs from IFAB where it's outside the silhouette. So if you're standing there, arms at your side, that's your silhouette. That's not how you play soccer. That's not how you defend. You defend in a position where your arms are out. But if they're in a natural position in the like when you're we got away from the natural position rule, and I just think that that is absolutely absurd. And I think it was just a way to easily bail referees out because there's these calls are so subjective sometimes. This one shouldn't have been subjective. Syria has been saying, if it hits your arm, we don't care. It's a penalty. We will call it. And they called it, unfortunately, correctly in the Napoli-Fiorentina match. Because that shouldn't have been a penalty in any sense. But the ball hit his arm. Therefore, it's a penalty. And ridiculously, it was correct in the Cagliari-Brescia match. Where the ball, yes, nicked his knuckles. And therefore, was a penalty. Correct call. This ball blatantly hits the arm. It may have been high on the arm. It may have hit... The bicep and the elbow. I, I, the the one replay from behind from behind the goal, where that low shot where in a Champions League match the fifth like the end line official would be standing, very blatantly shows the clearly obvious mistake made by the referee. If look. The referee ultimately goes over and makes the final decision, even when the VAR says, hey, you need to look at this because it looks like there was a mistake. I think too often there are some referees out there who are afraid to admit they were wrong and are too, are too headstrong to put their hands up and say, yep, my bad. Especially when it would affect the home team sometimes. I, I think... That just seems to be the case. You can't have simple mistakes like this happening. And, you know, one decision in Uden is not going to change anything. They're not going to look at that and say, oh, we should never have the referee making that decision. We should make it cricket style where the, the VAR has the final say no matter what. Because, you know... That's just never going to happen. I, they, they do that now with the objectives or the, with the objective stuff, the stuff that's either right or wrong in terms of offside, in terms of whether the ball actually crossed the line. And, but they won't go farther than that. So I don't know. This whole thing just seems ridiculous. And I'm glad we're not just taking this terrible incident and saying, well, that's the reason Milan didn't get a result from this match. We've exhaustively covered all the issues from the match, and I think no one is looking at this as a scapegoat. 
They're just looking at this as another problem compounded with everything else that's going on. And how the heck do you not get this simple call right? I agree with everything you said. Um, just a couple just points to add on before we close the, the book on this. Uh, at least for this week until VAR and the refs do something wrong next week. Um, number one, natural position being replaced with silhouette. As if that clarifies anything? Come on. That doesn't, as you said... That, it makes it worse. It makes it so much worse. Because not only, like you said, is that not how you play soccer, but it's also not how you, I don't know, exist as a human being. Like, yeah, okay, in a the computer simulation in a movie when they're doing, like, a body scan, and they're like, ah, yes, this human is made of human. It's like... Yeah, okay, then, like, that's a silhouette. Like, yeah, if you're describing a human body, sure, it's in a silhouette in a science textbook. Yeah, okay, it's in a silhouette. You li Show me an action that you do with that, with the silhouette. I have one example, and it's the only example I can think of, and I've been thinking about this for three days. It's the episode of Seinfeld where the woman just walks with her hands at her side. <laughs> and that's the only way she knows how to walk. That is it. That is all I've been able to come up with. The 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 only example I have is um this weird thing that we call it standing still. It's <laughs> <laughs> the only action that you have that position. Um second of all, and um I'm glad you brought this up because um my boss um, Joe Tolleson, he calls NYCFC games. He does, you know, he does a lot. Um, he's my boss at SiriusXMFC. Um, he says all the time, show me a ref who is willing to say, I made a clear and obvious error. No one's going to do it. And that's part of VAR that needs to, I don't know how you fix I don't know how you address that, right? But there is very much a... Oh, wow, this guy really got it wrong. We got to clean up his mess. And I don't think anyone wants to be seen as the guy that made the mess. Um, however, last point. Like you said, there are subjective decisions and there are objective decisions. Objective decisions over the line. Goal or no goal. Um, offside. Um, of course, all of these things... And Tom Rennie, another host um, on uh, the channel I work at, um, has said before, VAR is enforcing the rules. It's the rules you have a problem with. VAR is doing nothing wrong. It is enforcing the law. I.e. when uh, Jesse Lingard was like a quarter of a shoe offside and everyone was like, oh, he's offside. Yeah, he was offside. You have a problem because it happened to your team. You have a problem because you think he was robbed. But he was offside, and VAR confirmed he was offside. That is a black and white thing. But when you get into the gray, I know that's where it becomes hard, and I know that's where there are these debates and the struggles, and no, VAR is not going to take away all... The debates, like some someone, I don't know who said that, but freezing cold takes. Um, 
someone said, oh, yeah, like with VAR, there aren't going to be debates in the pubs anymore. Hmm. Well, yeah, there are. Oh, yeah. Oh, honey. (laughs) Now we're just arguing about something else. Uh, We always we as sports fans, we always argue about something. Um, But in, in this case, looking at this, you cannot look at that replay and tell me that it is subjective whether it hit his arm or not. It objectively hit his arm, and by the rules that Serie A have been preaching, and enforced in another game, by the way. Multiple games. Multiple games should have been a penalty. Um, And again, like you said, I'm glad that that is not... Like, I'm glad that given the whole game... Yeah, we would have liked it, but like we didn't deserve a win by any means, and we would have been bailed out with VAR. Um, and I'm glad that, like, imagine if we had played well, but Udinese had played really good defense, and you know this is like truly imaginary land, right? Us playing well and that, like, all the factors. Um, completely hypothetical. And then VAR screws us out of a goal, and then we get scored on due to VAR something, right? Imagine if, like, the only talking point was, like, that, like, old man yells at Cloud, like, are you VAR, right? So I'm, I'm glad that's not the case. I'm also upset that that's not the case because I really would have rather us have played well and deserved literally anything, which we didn't. So... Last thing before we wrap, um, and that is the latest and greatest transfer rumor, um, that being since um, the deal that Milan has been trying to close for Correa, which I think they started approximately 1,500 years ago, and they're still negotiating with Atleti. Um, which I also saw a tweet that said, like, you know, Atleti, oh, you want Correa, uh, we'll take $55 million for him. And then it says, Milan, how about 40 Now we'll go 55 How about 40 No, we're, we're, we're sticking to 55 How about 25 It's like, okay, that is not about... That has to be what's going on, right? Like, we're, we just keep doing this over and over and over and over. It's like, okay, I don't think this deal... That's why I'm afraid the deal is never going to get done. Why take Cray? Yeah. But I don't think we need... And I said this to Robbie last week. We have Piontek. He writes himself into a starting lineup. I am convinced that in a couple weeks, Liao will write himself into a starting lineup as well. We've signed these guys. We signed him for big money, both of them for big money. They got to start to figure it out, unless he's a bust too, and then we got to figure out our striker evaluations because holy cow. Um, and oh, by the way, Andre Silva still exists. I was just going to say this. Um, so if you add Correa, that's four. I mean, how many strikers does do you need? Like, the, I'm... I, And I also said this last week, I'm rolling on the assumption that we will not, either we will not have or we will not play Andre Silva, which sucks, but I am under the assumption 
I'm just rolling with that. They either he's going to be sold, loaned, or he's not going to play. Or he'll play some cup matches and we'll move on. Or he'll score in the Europa League. Oh, wait. The other thing is, um, we're just coming out of a stretch of financial fair play where we've been having a really tough time. And the net spend has been 76 million euros this this summer. If you're going to add another 40 or 55 onto that, you realistically need to sell somebody. And who are you selling beside maybe Andre Silva, who you're not going to get that much money for? It's either Suso or Kessie. And you can't afford to lose either of them, as we said before. So... Correa for 55, which, if I'm correct, I believe would break the transfer record for the club. Um, it's a lot. I, I'm not. I've, I've never been sure about that price tag. I really. I, I don't love the price tag. I like the player. Don't get me wrong. I like him. Don't love him. Like him. Don't love that transfer tag. Um, but apparently, the alternative. And this is where it gets fun, right? Um, because last week we were talking about um, how magically we got linked to both Mauro Cardi and Luka Jovic in the span of like approximately two hours. So this time, the alternative to Correa is Everton. Yes, that Everton who exploded at the Copa America. Um. We're just going with this now? That We haven't thought of this before? You're telling me that we couldn't have swooped in right as the Copa America ended? Like, hey, we'll give you $40 million right now. Right? You cannot tell me. So we've been doing this Correa thing this whole time. And with, uh, as of recording, mm, six days left in the window? You know, maybe we could go after Everton instead. I mean, come on. Give, give, me, give me Everton first. The kid's electric. There's no room for him on any of the other big clubs in Europe that would have swooped in after a big tournament like this, the way they all overreact. I think he would have been the perfect signing. And he's, he still he could be the He fits the squad better, signing. too. Yeah, he fits the squad. Link him up with Paqueta and, oh, my God. This is what drives me nuts because, and it's the same thing we said about the squad. It's the same thing we said about the formation, uh, stuff like that. It's like, why does this seem obvious, but it's not happening? Why is it that we look at this and be like, you know what? This makes all the sense in the world. But then it's like, uh, or we can make another offer for Correa. I mean, if it's really that difficult, why haven't they approached for Everton already, like, frankly, I'm hoping that they were doing both. You know, like, okay, we're going to inquire about Correa, we're going to inquire about Everton, okay, we're going to make an offer for him, we're going to make an offer for him, and then got shut down on Everton, like, okay, you didn't, you know what? No, we're keeping him. It's like, all right, now we got to go all in on Correa. I'm hoping that's the situation, instead of just like, Correa, 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 Correa. Uh, hmm. Correa, 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 Correa. <laughs> hmm. 
okay, maybe we should think about Everton. Like, there's not enough time. Uh, I also saw one tweet that said if Leonardo was still here, Everton would have been here after two matches in the Copa America. Which I think is true. But, I mean, that's the Brazilian thing, right? I mean, that's like, that's half of it. Well, hey, I mean, Maldini called Leo Duarte while he was out shopping with his family. Like, how, like they're clearly, they can still pull these players in from Brazil. Why wouldn't you go after Everton if you're, first of all, being held up by Atletico on this Correa deal, which is still weird because they want to get this other deal over the line. The guy they want to bring in from Valencia, I believe. And then he's way more expensive. So, if like, you're hitting this wall with Correa. He's more money than Everton. You can swoop in with pretty much no competition and say, we want Everton. We'll give you a lot of money right now. Everton would likely want to make the move to Europe at 23, especially after being the top scorer at Copa America. How does this not make sense? And he fits the team so much better. Adding a player like him to the group we have is far better than adding another striker. I was just going to say, unfortunately, at this point, if they do go back or if they do go to Gremio and say we want to bring him in, Gremio now has leverage to say, okay, we want 55, 60 million euros. Yep. Price match. Yeah, that's, that's the price match thing of like, all right, well, hmm. Looks like you... Re- <laughs> They're going to watch the Udinese game and be like, yikes, you guys really need this, dude. We'll take 55. If you weren't going to do 55 for Correa, you'll do 55 for Everton. You're younger, more electric. Absolutely. And and the hype machine will escalate far more for him. Right. And the last one, and, and this is the weird one for me, is the Demerol rumors. And do we need another center back? Do do we? And that's a genuine question. Like I'm not I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm genuinely wondering if we need another center back because again, why are we doing this now? Why the like? I'm 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 looking at the squad and okay, Roman Yoli writes himself in. Got it. Caldara is injured. Hopefully he'll be back. But if he's not, what do we do? Well, we have Musakio. Okay, Musakio, I I am a believer. Um, if I'm correct, you are too. Yeah, I'm still I'm still holding out faith. I thought I, I thought out, yeah. I thought that he was, I thought he was fairly good against Udinese. Yeah, I I thought that he was solid. I I was a fan of I was a fan of the addition when he came in. Um, I think he's been a little underrated. Um, and I think he deserved the start. I think he was fine. I think, you know, he'll start again. Um, <clears throat> but then when you look at the rest of the team, so you have Romagnoli and Musacchio, you have an injured Caldara, and you have Duarte. That That's it, right? So do we need another defender? Especially because Demerol, he he's a starter, right? When we brought in all those players, right? I thought part of the whole deal, and this was like the Chinese spending spree. I was like, okay, they're, they're going to play three at the back. They're going to do Musacchio, Romagnoli, Benucci, 
and but then they added wingbacks the, the the whole thing we don't need to relive that more than we just did but yeah you only have two spots um none of these guys are also wingbacks um i don't know what the strategy here is i don't know because like demerol's good right I, i'm not this is not an anti-demerol thing this is do we need to spend the money this late given straight to arrival um and it's not a sure thing because if rugani leaves he stays but if rugani stays he can go but rugani can go and they'd much rather let rugani go this whole thing is weird it's weird like, it's weird if so obviously he joined Juventus officially at the beginning of July, but if this, but even when that was happening, there were links with him to other clubs after he signed with Juventus. If they had gone in at the start of the summer and gotten a player like Demerol and then brought in Leo Duarte, I would have been like, all right, cool. Like this is good. Obviously Caldara is injury prone. Musacchio isn't like he's solid but he's not another top defender the way next to Romagnoli the way we're accustomed to having top center back next to top center back in good Milan teams of the past but now it seems like all right you brought in Duarte now you're splashing all this cash on another center back and look if it's going to be if they are bringing another one in if it's going to be any of the ones they've been linked to I'd rather it be Demerol than Marcus Rojo, Dan Lovren, um, take your pick, whoever else. I've, I've, uh, yeah. Um, I just, it seems like a lot of money right now, just because you've already brought in a talented young center back this summer. I don't. It just seems like a weird move to me. If it happens, I, you know, the more good center backs, the better. But like you said. There's only there are only two spots, and right now they're pretty much owned by Romagnoli and Musacchio. Musacchio hasn't done enough damage to lose that position until Card Caldara comes back, and when Caldara comes back, what's going to happen? Like, what's he going to be like? Yeah, and and that's one of the things that I think Musacchio and Duarte are. They are Caldara insurance policies. That if Caldara comes back. And he's just never the same. At least they can live on Musakio. But that would imply they miss out on Demerol completely because they're taking their chances with what they got. I understand, like, again, I would take Demerol. But this close to the end of the window, having seen the defense play pretty well with no indication we're playing three at the back, I it just seems weird. And, like... You know, then you get into the, well, why don't you invest in X, right? So instead of investing in defense, why don't you invest in blank? Which would be, okay, we could use another midfielder. I don't know, like a Danny Ceballos, for example. Um, we could we could get another midfielder. Uh, but then you say, well, you know, you have Pekata. And Benacer and Cassie, do you need another midfielder? Well, the answer is yes, clearly, because Barini started instead. 
Um, and then you say, well, we also need another either Trecortista or a midfielder. Well, Trecortista, you technically have two. You have Suso and you have Chalanoglu. You could upgrade, yeah, but they can also play other positions. And then you have three strikers right now. So I guess they're like our most easily upgradable position, quote-unquote, would be defender. But I just don't see that as like a number one need. And they seem to think that that is a far greater need, which is confusing but also concerning to a little bit. Like, what are they seeing that we aren't? Like, what... it's the Fabio Barini starting question. Like, what are they seeing that we aren't? I think that's the question we're all asking after this first game, too. It's uh, it, there's got to be something like I don't I don't know. I mean, you know, I I guess you know, right before we close, I'll get another Barini um, shot in. Is that he must be an absolute animal in training? Apparently, he must be all over. He must be a beast. Um, but no, I, I mean, if we're worried about the back line, then I'm really worried because this was, this was the fourth best defense in Serie A last year, tied, for, tied for third with Napoli and goals conceded only six behind Juve, three behind Inter. I mean, they, they gave up less than a goal a game last year. This was a very sound defense. And a lot of those goals came from just like simple mistakes because of the system that Gattuso was playing with the playing out of the back. And they... They lost. They shipped probably five goals just from being unable to play the ball out of the back. So I don't know how we can sit here and think that defense is the problem. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not clear. I like if we get Demerol after everything, right? Great. He's a good player. He's only going to get better. There's a reason that everyone is interested in him. I get it. He's, you know. That whole, like, Great Wall of Italy thing that we said when we added Benucci alongside Romagnoli, and then when we got Caldara before he got injured to be alongside Romagnoli, and now it would be Demerol alongside Romagnoli, if not Caldara. You know, I, I, I get it. If you want to go on the, like, lock it down, great. But I'm, I, it's, it's very confusing. It's very odd that this late, that's what they're going for. And oh, by the way, they're still trying to figure out Correa. And I don't think it would be very, very strange for both of them to arrive at once this late. Um, especially given the financial fair play. Like, I, I have no idea where this money is coming from. So, um, last thing, Brescia. You know, here we go. This is the bounce back. Saturday, 12 p.m. kickoff. Your usual streaming platform. It's going to be on ESPN Plus per use. Woot, woot. Um, it's at home. It's the home opener. It's against Brescia, who, oh, by the way, um, I mean, they they didn't look good. They, they, they did not, I mean, they, it's against Cagliari, and Cagliari is not good, and, and like I said, it was a very innocuous handball. It was very, it was dubious. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, 
trying to put this together without writing anything off. Because with AC Milan, you can't write anything off, right? Um, I'll, I'll do what I did last week. You got your ceiling and you have your floor, right? Best case, worst case. Your best case scenario. Absolutely everything goes right. This is like a 3 or a 4 nil win. That's best case scenario. Now last week I said best case scenario, 2-1 win. And that was very far off. This is not going to be a best case scenario. I, I, I can't imagine after seeing what we saw that it that they morph into a team that can beat a team 4-0. However, if there's a team, it might very well beat Russia. Um, with all due respect to Mario Balotelli. Um, <laughs> now, your worst case scenario for Milan is a 0-1 loss or like a 0-0 draw where they just yeah, where they just crap themselves the whole game again and they keep Russia out of goal because we have a good defense. So, worst and I mean the absolute worst case is a 1-0 loss. That that is and then the sky is going to be falling. Um prediction it's actually very very upsetting that I'm having such a hard time this should this should be pretty clear um you know what i'm going two nil win two nil win ac milan at home get the home opener off to a good start they'll figure it out they'll get on the right track two nothing win i was gonna say two nil as well i think that's it's not going to be a perfect game it's not going to be an amazing game but I I don't think that they'll let Brescia score. I think this defense has been solid or is solid. I don't think that there's any worry about that. The only time they ever really threatened Calgary at all was when they got a very dubious penalty. And, you know, all you have to do is make sure Alfredo Donnarumma doesn't get within three feet of Gianluigi Donnarumma and you're going to have a clean sheet. It's just a matter of all I want to see in this game is Jampalo, and I don't think he's going to do it, but I want to see him put the best players out there in his formation and show the home fans after that embarrassment at Udinese, this is what I want my team to be. And this is what this team can be because they'll put, they don't have to be, they're not playing Juventus on Saturday. They don't have to be ready for a final in this system. They just need to go out there and play. This is like going to where where were they? Somewhere in Eastern Europe or something, playing against some middle of the road team, playing in Jean Paolo's system in a preseason friendly a few weeks ago. Honestly, it's it's a little more than that, but it's that same kind of game. Like Brescia, you shouldn't have anything to worry about. So go out there. Let these players run. Let them play the system that you believe in and that you want all of us to believe in. Get Benacer in there. Get Kessier back in there. Get get Leao in there. Or if you're feeling crazy, Andre Silva maybe. 
but eh, we'll yeah, pass on that let, one. Let, let, <laughs> let, yeah. Let's just stick yeah. with the yeah. Let's not give him any more P- options. Point taken, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just it doesn't make any sense not to. Which means Fabio Brini is going to start at striker, and Chalonoglu is going to start at left back. Um, no, nah, but I mean, I agree with you. Like, get the best players out there. Get your formation. Don't don't hit the cancel button quite yet. You're will be it. And for the last time for this podcast, at least, we're going to be all right. We'll be okay. You know, this the, this is also what happens when you hit the reset button with a new manager every single season. All right, you're going to have hard times with growing pains, and we're all impatient. We get it. You can be mad about the results. Let's not burn it to the ground yet. We'll be okay. I still think, you know, of course, it's super duper hard to be like, we're still going to finish top four um, after what we saw. But hold the faith. Everyone's going to be all right. Um, don't don't riot quite yet. All right. We'll we'll get there. So on that note, on that positive note, because we are a positivity podcast. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Devil Wears Ross and Arrow, the official podcast of the AC Milan Offside. I'm Patrick Stoll. You can find me at Stoll underscore P. And he's Tim Fontenot. Uh, you cannot find him on Twitter, but you can find his work at acmilan.theoffside.com. And you can follow all of our work at SBN Ross and Arrow. Uh, Tim, thanks a lot. We'll speak next week. Really appreciate it, as always. Hopefully we have something a little better to talk about next time. Yeah, hopefully. Always a pleasure. And big thanks to Robbie for filling in for me last week. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, You know, our guests have set a very high bar so far, so we're always glad to get staff members on and uh, look out for uh, some more uh, faces and voices coming on the podcast in the near future. So, That'll do it for another episode of The Devil Wears Ross and Arrow. Thank you very much for listening. Again, check out all of our work, acmilan.theoffside.com, at SBN Ross and Arrow, at Stoll underscore P. For Tim, for the staff of the AC Milan Offside, I'm Patrick. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>